Be inspired to love life, to achieve extraordinary feats, and to change the world around you for the better. Welcome to Love Your Life, Tell Your Story by Kathleen Marriott. Here we have Kara Shields, and Kara is here today on Love Your Life, Tell Your Story. So welcome, Kara. And Kara's from the United States, from Reston in Virginia. So welcome. Kara is a true gritter in every way. So Kara, welcome today. Hi, Kathleen. Well, thanks for inviting me. Well, you're welcome, Kara. So Kara, we can't wait to have your four stories on Love Your Life, Tell Your Story. And today you're telling us what is your story on Love Your Life for your first story? So the first story I'm going to talk about is kind of the path that's led me to becoming a, a physician um, taking care of a student body at uh, George Washington University. So before you get started on your first story, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and why you are a true gritter and why you're on Love Your Life? Sure. I feel I do love my life and I, I feel blessed that during my life I've been able to recognize opportunities that bring meaning and fulfillment and I found some success through like you said through a lot of true grit that's wonderful so we have four stories and of course our four stories we have around 15 minutes each so this week we have your first story and then next week we'll have your second and of course following on two other stories so go ahead tell us your first story this week Kara sure so I was gonna speak about how I've come to be in the position that I'm at, I'm in, what kind of led me to wanting to be, become just a physician in general, and then how I ended up um, becoming a, a college physician. So I guess the story starts in my upbringing. I was raised by two parents, my mom and my dad, and I had a, a sister named Dora who was about two and a half years younger than myself. And then about 12 and a half years later, I had a brother. So for most of my childhood, it was just the four of us, my mom, my dad, and my sister. And my sister was diagnosed with a progressively degenerative neurological illness when she was young, about a toddler. And the name of the illness is called San Filippo A. And it's, it's quite devastating. You know, she was thought to have no problems at birth, but then just progressively didn't hit milestones, lost her language, lost her ability to, to ambulate, start having seizures. By the time she was 14, she got a feeding tube and was pretty much bedridden. And so it was kind of a sad, yeah. <laughs> a sad situation because I loved her very, very much. And there's certainly a, a situation where I felt just helpless, that there is absolutely nothing that I could do. Not that there weren't moments of joy in my childhood. There certainly were. And there were moments, not many, but moments where we had normal sibling. I remember dividing the station wagon in half. You stay on your side, I stay on my yeah. side kind of moments, but not many of those. This is obviously throughout your adolescence that her illness is impacting and influencing your life. For sure. It influenced my psyche, but also my environment because it, her illness also le led to a kind of an isolation of yeah. our family because our my parents moved from one state in the U.S. to another state about a 12-hour drive away, and we didn't have any 
extended family near us. And we were just in the situation where we couldn't get involved in a lot of, you know, activities with other families or friends, just based on the fact that we couldn't leave the house very easily. And that my sister needed constant care and, you know, you couldn't just get a normal babysitter, you know, you had, it was basically my parents or me. So at a young age, I became third caretaker. And in a way that, that gave you a, gave me a, a bit of a sense of control that I could be helpful. Anyway, it, it certainly shaped my adolescence, but, you know, beyond helping the family, I, I didn't know that there is anything that I could do to impact the situation and in a curative way, right? Did this shape your your values and your family values and your outlook on life as well? Probably. I mean, I I, I was raised by a loving family, and I think you know I certainly saw a lot of love in my sister's caretaking. I she ended up living twenty one years, and I remember at one point my parents considering institutionalizing my sister because she was a hundred percent care and they never did they took care of her all her life and being an oldest child certainly a, a large sense of responsibility i would say so anyway that that brings me to like what what could i do but you know i would pray i would pray every night i would pray to god that he'd render a miracle and that she wouldn't you know be in the state that she was in. And then I guess I just was a normal kid other than that. I was actually kind of trying to recall the moment when I thought I'd want to become a doctor. And I do recall in junior high, we had like a, a project, you know, like, what do you want to do as a career? And I picked being a stockbroker <laughs> and picked being a doctor. <laughs> Um, I like, I really, I've always kind of like numbers and shapes and patterns. And I had some family members who were employed in, you know, the banking industry and my one grandfather really enjoyed following the stock market. And so I got just a little bit ex like positive exposure to that. But, you know, I, I hadn't thought anything about medicine and then I went through my freshman year of high school and kind of unexpectedly, I did really well my first year. And I didn't know that I could do that well. And of course, your freshman year is the easiest of your years in high school. Could you explain to us in Australia, what is your freshman year? It's your first year. Okay. So it's your first of four years of secondary school. Oh, okay. Thank you. So um, I was 14. 14. Okay. Thank you. Okay, great. I just kind of had an aha moment that if I could do well this year, why couldn't I do well all the years? Like I would have never yeah. even have thought that possible if it hadn't just happened by chance. And so as I received those grades, I just kind of set the goal for myself that I'm going to have perfect marks right throughout <laughs> all of high school and you set that goal and there it was and then you started to achieve those goals I did and I was able to have all of my final grades in high school BAs now it was a it was a small town high school you know I wasn't in the most competitive area possible but it was the best that I could do where I was yeah. And I just kind of set myself up through college just with that goal of going to med school that I could become a doctor and I could do research and I could 
find a cure for this disease. I mean, that was really my thinking at the time. It was naive. It was immature. That was kind of my my line of thought. Yet it was pure of heart, desire. And I think it made me feel a little less out of control, a little, you know, like I could do something. I went through college. I was a chemistry major. And again, I was just kind of thinking of what would set me up best. You know, at the time, see, I went to medical school in the early 90s. Uh, it was quite competitive. It's kind of ebbed and flowed, I guess, about how difficult it is to get into medical school in this country. But at the time, it, it was quite competitive. So I ended up being accepted at a school that had 15,000 applications for wow. 150 spots. Wow. That's um, a No, not everyone who gets accepted will go. You know, if you have multiple acceptances, you won't go. But at the time, it was quite competitive. I thought I had all my ducks in a line, you know, and things were going to work out. And then uh, during my last year of college is when I met my current husband. And that's where I was introduced to the love of the outdoors and adventure. And what makes me truly love my life now is participating in those things, yeah. which we'll talk about later. But I found once I got to medical school, things were going well the first two years until about halfway through my second year, within a two-week period, my sister died and I got married to my husband. That's incredible that that would happen in two weeks. So you had both joy and sorrow in t in a two-week period. I think for myself, I was probably so consumed with my wedding and my sister's death. I mean, you never knew when, you know, the other foot was going to drop. Her death wasn't not completely unexpected. She had been in the hospital with pneumonia. I think it was probably tougher on my parents than it was mm -hmm. on me. But anyway, it was it was a time of a lot of a lot of change on my yes. perception of of the opportunities that I felt so blessed to have. And it was also a time when medical school be started to become more difficult. And so by that summer, you start your clinical time. And this was prior to there being, now there's laws that limit the amount of time that medical students can be in the hospital. But there weren't such laws back then. And it it was common to spend 100 hours a week. 100 hours? 100 hours, yeah. And you're at that so time around down. 24 years old? I was, yes. I think I was turning 24 that summer when the clinical started, yes. And I was newly married. Newly and married, grieving. Mm -hmm. And my husband, he was very supportive. So, you know, I would have to be in the hospital because you, you pre-round before the pre-round. You yeah. know, <laughs> you have to get there very early. And um, I didn't have parking and the metro doesn't, the, the train system doesn't start running till 6 a.m. So my new husband would drive me to the hospital at, at 5 a.m. And he'd get to work early and be done by 2. And then he'd have these lovely afternoons out on the river. And, you know, learning is so exciting, but there's a lot of time that you're not learning. So when you're learning, you're just amazed and like, you're just soaking it all up. And I did love that. Like I did, it was exciting. And, but then there were so many hours, so many hours when there was nothing to do. And it was like a prison being in the hospital. Like 
it would be sunny outside and there, you know, I have no responsibility. I'm not a doctor. I'm a medical student. And I would just like be peering out the window, not wanting to be where I was. And so my whole identity that, you know, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change. It didn't have meaning to me. It wasn't worth all that effort. It was, it was a bit of identity crisis. The end goals of how I saw loving my life (laughs) was no longer an achievement and control and cure. It was, I wanted to be with my husband. I wanted to be doing the activities that he had introduced me to doing in the outdoors. I mean, I still wanted to be learning and and to be a doctor, but I just didn't see how those two things could ever be balanced. How did you cope with the stress and the anxiety that you felt like you weren't in control? Yeah, no, I didn't do that very well. Okay. So, so I... You know, I, I I did some panicking. I did some crying. I didn't do very good coping. Fair enough. And then I thought, I need to quit. Like, I just, like, I am miserable 100% of the time. Right. But, you know, medical school's quite expensive. And, and Peter was very, my husband was very supportive. He's like, no, you don't have to do this. But, you know, you already have two years of med school loans, like we do have to pay those <laughs> off somehow. Okay. <laughs> so then kind of like miraculously, I was introduced to the specialty of family practice, which I didn't have any exposure to in medical school. Like your medical education is very much focused on all the different specialties and and not so much on primary care. And if it is, if you do get some primary care experience, it's internal medicine or it's pediatrics, which again, the education part in medical school is mostly hospital. You get very little outpatient, which has, you know, more flexibility for having different kinds of lifestyles. And I was introduced to family practice and I ended up doing a a rotation in a family practice residency for, for a month. And I saw, I saw a possibility. I saw a way that I could still be a doctor. I wasn't going to be a brain surgeon, researcher, cure my sister. This is, this is my destiny. I was going to be able to be a doctor and spend time with my husband and spend time in the outdoors. And so I had to pivot, you know, I, uh, I had never done that before. Previously, things had come and you just, all you can do to get that one goal. But but you could see an opportunity that you could have it all, that you could have this opportunity to love your life, be a doctor, have this joy of being married and the love of the outdoors. And if you tweaked your life. Exactly. And I think I also appreciate it which I didn't mention before that I was very motivated by the love of my sister and feeling out of control and thinking, you know, magical thoughts that I had, I would be able to just do something incredible. But there was also the influence of the doctors on my sister's team that were just incredible 
incredibly wonderful to our family. Like if we needed to bring her to the hospital at 2 a.m., there was someone there that admitted her in person, not over mm -hmm. the phone. And there was a time my, my sister went to a, um, a school for um, handicapped children. And because she was total care, they wanted to basically expel her. And her doctors basically went to bat legally for her so that she couldn't be expelled. Yeah. And so there was also the influence of that love that they gave to our family that I felt that I wanted to be able to give to someone else. And you wanted and to that pass that still, on. Yeah, I could still do that. Mm. Right. Yeah. You know, I could still have an influence in other people's lives, even though I wouldn't be curing diseases. Although as when you are a resident, it's, you do save a lot of lives because the residents run the codes in the hospital, you know, and they say code blue when you yeah. run quite, a, quite exciting. But in general, it's not that exciting as a as a family practitioner. But you still got to be involved with families like yours and you got to have that personal interaction that you experienced growing up and that you were part of you're part of the chain I suppose and part of the solution that was something that was part of your values that you had learnt. Yeah, I think I was I was able to love my life. That's such a beautiful story, Kara. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. It's so moving and beautiful. And I can see how this journey looking back is so whole. And I can understand why you love your life. And it's such a beautiful story to share with us. I feel so privileged that you've decided to share it on Love Your Life and to cherish your sister in such a way and also to cherish her legacy in a way that you have by sharing that with all of your patients and in family practice it's such a a source of joy i can imagine for them i can't obviously i'm not one of your patients but i can only imagine if i was i would feel absolutely privileged to, to be part of your sister's life source as well so how beautiful i'm almost moved to tears to tell you the truth so, <laughs> so thank you very thank you very much i think we should finish it here because I am nearly moved to tears and it is love your life, tell your story. So um, we'll finish here and we'll talk to you next week. So thank you so much, Kara Schultz. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on Love Your Life, Tell Your Story. This is only part of our story. To hear the rest, leap forward to the next podcast and give us five stars wherever you listen. Love Your Life, Tell Your Story by Kathleen Marriott.